The sayings of King Lemuel contain this message, which his mother taught him. O my son, O son of my womb, O son of my vows, do not waste your strength on women, on those who ruin kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, to guzzle wine. Rulers should not crave alcohol, for if they drink, they may forget the law and not give justice to the oppressed. Alcohol is for the dying, and wine for those in bitter distress. Let them drink to forget their poverty and remember their troubles no more. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless, and see that they get justice. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her, and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant's ship bringing her food from afar. She gets out before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong, a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. She makes her own bedspreads. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates, where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to the merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear at the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and, and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but not but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. The word of the Lord. God, you may be seated. Thank you for that reading, Chris. Today, the kids are invited to stay in the service. Um, it is the fifth Sunday of a month, which happens quarterly, and the kids stay in on these Sundays. Wisdom is proved right by her children, is what we heard from the gospel reading today from Luke. That wisdom is proved right by her children. And that's, it's, a, it's an odd scene. Um, the Pharisees and people are complaining that Jesus is a drunkard and a glutton. And he brings up that then when John was there not eating, they said he had a demon. And 
They are like children in a marketplace requesting songs but not being happy, or, or they are playing songs and people are not happy with anything they receive. This, is, this kind of reminds me of um, people wanting Jesus to be uh, um, Alexa. <laughs> uh, we want you to play the song we want you to play. Uh, Alexa, play Baby Shark. Uh, no, Alexa, play something sad. Um, no, Alexa, play this. Uh, and Jesus says that, that that's not the way it is, but that wisdom is proved right by her children. As we step into the Proverbs 31 text today to sort of end our series on the book of Proverbs, this is the 12th sermon on the book of Proverbs, um, and the last, um, to step into the world of Proverbs 31 and to sort of hear again, I think the question is, for the overarching nature of the sermon is, whose children are we? Proverbs has been declaiming to us what wisdom is. Wisdom in the ordered sense. And what its dysfunction look like in those lectures between the father and the son in verses 1 through 9. And then what does it look like to practice wisdom in the chapters 11 through 30 um, with various different sayings. Next week we'll do one more on the book of Proverbs, um, but it's kind of a bonus track. Um, I consider today the end. Um, but next week I want to try and sort of look at a specific proverb um, and sort of pull that apart and talk about how the individual proverbs maybe, maybe function in, in their um, grammar in a different way. Um, uh, we, as you remember, skipped over all of that by crushing them into seven virtues and seven sins um, in two weeks, and I think it's fair to t spend one week on one to sort of ask, how do we think through these things, and what is the depth of meaning here? So that'll be next week, but I consider today sort of the proper end, and that's why that question of whose children are we in this way this is, this is the map we've been using from the Bible Project. Um, and as you'll see, we're in these sayings from King Lemuel in the bottom right here. I w what's worth considering is, is that these um, people have asked me, you know, how do we make of that the Proverbs are from Solomon? But even in the text, it's acknowledged that they're not all from Solomon. Lemuel, Agar, there's, there's one list in this section that's, that's sort of a ripoff of, of Egyptian wisdom literature. Um, it mirrors it well, and so that question on including that type of stuff, um, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't even claim that it's all from Solomon. Solomon starts the, the, that section at 111 and goes through, but then it switches to other voices. And so it's kind of, as we talked about, one of the, the condensed sort of way of looking at the world in wise from all of the resources that they could pull together. And part of the, what I tried to say about that is in this condensing, in this bringing it all together, they're actually... Um, uh, creating something that's, that's synthetic. It's made up of many parts, much beyond just one person. It's been honed and honed over again. It is the collective wisdom of all things. If you remember that quote from Nicholas Tlaib, um, who, uh, about, you know, if, if something said by a doctor or a psychologist, there's probably a 10% chance it's right. But if it's said by your grandma, there's probably a 90% chance it's going to be proven to be right later. And then Tlaib, in his great way, says, who needs nerd economists anyways? Um, which I always love his throwaway lines on just dissing people completely. Um, but we have this, this notion today of, of whose children are we as we look at the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, 
This is the woman of valor or the capable wife, uh, if you're familiar with her. Um, and this is one of the things, it's often been used particularly as a burden upon women. Now, if you're new here, one of the things I oppose the most is the weaponization of texts against other people. Um, and oftentimes this takes place in a, in a left-right dichotomy. Well, if they cared about this, they would be a serious Christian. If they cared about this, they would be a serious Christian. And it's just, um, it's, it's part of this uh, gotcha politics that we just continue forever in our society. That you say you believe this, well, I found four verses in the Bible you don't seem to take seriously, and then this. And then you get, uh, particularly in these larger conversations, well, people will say, well, you know, the Bible's all about care for the oppressed, or the Bible's all about um, uh, heteronormative families, or something like that. And it's like, how wrong could we be all the time becomes the question. And this is not to propose, like, we're right here, but just in the sense that, like, let's pause. Let's listen. Let's take it in. And part of what I wrote in the email this week is it's, it's not familiarity. This is a, a saying I picked up from N.T. Wright, but probably came from somewhere else. It's not familiarity that breeds contempt. It's familiarity that breeds unfamiliarity, and it's unfamiliarity that breeds contempt. In certain spheres, if you were to say, we're going to talk about the Proverbs 31 woman, people would feel weight, and, and normally not male spheres, I'll be honest about that, weight and judgment about what could come out of that conversation. But it's because they've heard it not in its true sense. They think they know it, but they don't really know it. And for, for men, I think, who grew up in a certain era of the church, let's say late 90s to this, it's, it's one of those things we, we know that they, they talk about, but we don't really ever talk about it ourselves. Um, we have an idea that there's, there's this place for it. So my joke was today's sermon is about how to have a Proverbs 31 heart and a Proverbs 7 woman world. If you remember back to Proverbs 7, that's where the woman tries to drag him into adultery. Um, which is a joke and not really the point of the sermon. Although there's an honestness there in which, in, 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 a, in a crass world, how do we become people who embody wisdom in the way that the Proverbs 31 woman does? Um, I always like, I saw another pastor the, yesterday on a walk, and I said, I always like those, those moments because you can say, say the odd thing and get the bonus for it, but also make fun of it at the same time. It's really a great uh, preaching trick. Um, you know, it's, 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 there's an interesting comparison there, which I think helps bring out the narrative portion of the whole of Proverbs. One of the things I'd like to say before we dive into it, um, uh, I got a couple more things probably at the intro here. Here's an image of what somebody drew in their Bible uh, when somebody was talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, um, uh, is that I don't believe that men and women are entirely interchangeable. Um, so as we talk about the Proverbs 31 woman as a woman, and I want to advocate that this too is an example for men, um, I, I don't want to fall into that they're entirely interchangeable, which is sort of the complex we live in the modern world, is that there's, you know, you could just replace a man with a woman and it'll all be the same. I don't believe that's true. But the challenge, as I was talking to Kelly this week, is um, not believing that that's true is also prone to idolatry. You can say what's true is the 1950s idea of what a woman is. Or, or you can say, you know, our culture standard, and this is, I was having a conversation with a member here about she was, she was glad to be a woman and be in the workforce and progressing, 
And she said, that's so much better than the world we lived in. And I said, you know, the problem is the world we lived in didn't allow for exceptions. And the problem is the world we live in now doesn't allow for exceptions either. Um, and so hear me say that I believe that there's a difference here. But also I think that we have to be careful because we'll uh, pull that difference to what we think it means today um, very quickly. And that becomes sort of this idolatrous stance is that it means what a healthy marriage looks like in 2001. That's God's will. And it's or, <laughs> I'm old. 2001 is uh, 2020. <laughs> Time just changes. Um, uh, I don't know why I said 2000. I'll think about that with a psychologist later. Um, the, that we can begin to sort of make idols of things that aren't true. Um, and so as we think about this, I want us to accept that like there's, there's something true here that, that men can't always embody, and there's something true here um, that women can more fully embody, but also that like to really name that would be to move into, I think, quickly an idolatrous space without really using the wisdom of the Lord. And I think sometimes the wisdom of the Lord is to remain silent in that space and pray that we can figure it out. And we'll end with, with um, uh, a bit of a, a way I think we can look at that. Um, this, is, uh, this is the Proverbs 30 woman is actually structured, structured as an acrostic poem. This is the Hebrew alphabet, if you're unfamiliar with it. And of course, because it's Hebrew, it starts in the top right and goes um, backwards. Um, many of you know my Hebrew is pretty terrible. Um, I did study it, but it's not good. Um, but but the, this poem, and it's kind of like a hymn, is structured, starting at verse 10. So Chris read all of 31, which I asked her to do, and then I changed it and didn't tell her, which is bad pastor. Um, but I will say that the first half is the saying to a, from a noble mother to a noble son. And what's really interesting about it is it says that you are to... to to use your voice for those who have no voice. Um, and, and that's sort of the role that it holds up at the end for, for those at the top of society is to take pause and to listen to those who are without so that they can use their voice for that. That's sort of the role of the king. We're going to spend more time on, on what's following, which in verse 10 starts, uh, the ordinary. So in, verse 30, or in chapter 31, we have both the extraordinary, sort of a king or royal figure, and in 31, we have a woman who is not said to come from any great lineage or be a queen or a prince, princess or anything like that, or married to a prince or something, but just to be in the ordinary. And so it's an acrostic poem. Um, if you had to write those in school, you know, A, uh, write about your mom. Awesome is she. B, uh, better than yours. Uh, C, cool, not so much. Um, um, I didn't write this way when I was in high school, but ironic distance gives you some. Uh, but that would be an acrostic poem as we would use it in English. This is a Hebrew structured one, um, and so it sort of follows us through, which, which raises a question of a lot of people try to find um, a structure to this poem that will magnify its meaning, but the structure of the poem is that it's the acrostic. Um, and so it's not... Uh, if you wanted to build it like as a chiasm, uh, which is like making the point in the middle or trying to say like this is the pinnacle of it at the end, it, it follows the alphabet. I mean, you wouldn't, uh, to interpose something else from the outside would be a weird thing. But as we've been walking through Proverbs, we've talked about um, that wisdom is the art of skilled living. And what I want to argue and propose today is the Proverbs 31 woman is the incarnation of skilled living. The Bible, this 
this story moved from a voiceless son who was always getting lectures from his father to advice and short proverbs and then to this fully formed woman that it closes with. What I want to argue is that, is that this is actually the fulfillment of the book of Proverbs, is that it's moving from this one who, who is, is just a receiver um, to this image of this one who embodies wisdom in that way. And I would say that, that the way she embodies wisdom is related to Proverbs 8, that cosmic woman wisdom who orders the world. It's not a mistake that she's a woman at the end. She's a woman because she mirrors that one who is embedded in creation. This too will come up again at the end of the sermon. But that she embodies that. Now, um, she becomes sort of the fulfillment of all that. And both, I think, in two ways. One, as a analog, that there's cosmic and then there's the one embedded in the ordinary. And then in another way, um, that she is an ideal for us to sort of strive for, too. She's, she's at lived in its context. And, and if you remember back a couple weeks ago, I don't want to make too much of this because it's a hard point to make, but I think this is connected to the way we look at Christology. Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God that becomes incarnate. Um, And that's a literal historical thing that happened. Proverbs 31 is, woman, is the incarnate version of cosmic wisdom. Whether that is an historical, literal thing that happened um, is not for me to really decide. I don't, I don't think, I think we're missing the point if we try to break it out that much. Um, but just to say that this is, this is what we do is we propose these sort of higher values and then we show them in their rootedness and their place in the world. Um, this, this will come back at the end. Um, the quotidian sort of aspect of the way in which we, the ordinariness of this story. There is no super cosmic or theological dimension to this sort of Proverbs 31 woman, but it, she's, a, she's proposed as sort of this ordinary space and place. And as I said at the end of the sermon last Sunday, as Kim said, I was going way too fast. Um, no, well, I'll blame one of you. She said no, now it's your fault. Um, uh, fire. Uh, Kelly said I was going way too fast at the end, is that what Proverbs proposes is our faithful lived lives are where holiness happens. There is no secondary place. There is no um, sacred and secular divide, per se, in, uh, in Proverbs. Your life is that sacred gift. Live it well in your relationship with your family, in your relationship with economics, with your relationship with other people, in your, in your guarding of your own wealth and the giving of your wealth to the poor. That is where holiness and faithfulness is embodied and not in like when I'm at church or when I'm at some other place. This is very uh, important insight to the book of Proverbs. And as we began the series, I was, I was trying to say that if we want to talk about creation, we should look at the book of Proverbs in, in the way in which we are to live and move in this creation than perhaps Genesis 1 through 3, um, because I think it paints a picture of the way the world is ordered and how we flourish within it. Now, Paul's, Paul says later is that we are to become fully persons or fully mature people, and that, I think, is what we see in the Proverbs 31 woman, is that we have this way of becoming a fully mature, fully um, capable person. 
Now, this is uh, a, a contra story to this. Uh, Joseph Blinkenship describes it, it as the petite bourgeois purship of the ideal wife, or perhaps an unattainable male fantasy of the perfect spouse, who does her husband proud and brings up a clutch of perfectly adorable children while engaged in a daunting range uh, of man- managerial tasks. Um, Joseph is not fan of the Proverbs 31 woman. Um, unattainable male fantasy of the perfect spouse, uh, petite and bourgeois. Um, and what he, it's, it's, what's clear here is that Joseph is in some sense unfamiliar with the Proverbs 31 women because children play almost no role in this text at all. She closes them and dresses them, but she doesn't make them perfectly adorable children. Joseph is already projected from our world, uh, perhaps the idolatry he's heard in our world, onto this text. Um, you know, he's, he's saying that the Proverbs 31 woman is the oppressive thing that we've told women to be like 1950s housewives, when in fact the Proverbs 31 woman is not a 1950s housewife. Um, and this is the challenge we have when we approach a text like this. It's often text that we can kind of use shorthand, like Proverbs 31 woman, or I think it's, have, it, I'm going to Matthew 17 them about like you go by yourself and then you go with two, three, is that like we just totally screw up the whole point. Um, when we just know them by their like shorthand sayings rather than actually know the stories. We just sort of uh, fall away. Um, and, and Ellen Davies, who's I'm attributed much of this sermon to, although I don't quote her uh, directly as often, a lot of her structure for looking at this is, is what spoke to me. Um, she says, she said in, in light of this, she said, he thinks it looks like this when in fact the Proverbs 31 woman looks more like a lioness coming home with her prey. Now that I don't think is what people have heard often about this woman. She looks like one who can keep up with the impossible range of tasks and order the world properly uh, to, to a male lens, I think Joseph is saying, but when in fact she is, is like a lioness who brings home her prey. And there's a specific text in here as we go through it that is almost blunted where that would be the point of it. Um, the Hebrew in our English gets messed up a little bit. But, but that she is this fierce one who brings this back. And, and I think as we have talked about what does it mean to be fierce with reality, this woman is one who is fierce with reality. Now in a side note, uh, Bruce Waltke's commentary, who I've used a lot, he argues that this is a, this is a portrait of, he raises the question of, could any woman do all this? Um, is it possible that a woman could fulfill all this? And in that incarnate form, as we talk about with Jesus, maybe the answer is no. But his response is from a Hebrew, uh, a Jewish scholar who said, well, obviously the women on the Great Plains in the frontier times did all these tasks and were pious, so it's entirely possible. And I was like, what a horrible solution to that problem to propose like you know in a different time again that's that idolatry like you know if we look back to a little house on the prairie they were fully capable of being the proverbs as if to propose like that's a solution for our world today um complex as it is in the back of the bulletin will be the last thing i'll sort of say in the intro is the book of proverbs one stands or falls in the eyes of god and community based on one's relationship to various women we had the idolatrous woman, we had um, uh, Lady Wisdom, we had, uh, there were several other women in one, one through nine, and, and then in the rest of the book. But like, it's, it's in this relationship to the Proverbs 31 woman, one stands or falls. In this 
pursuit of this one. And so this is the um, ordinary story um, that is great in character two that we'll walk through. Uh, and uh, this is, I'm following sort of Walt Key's outline here. The value of the Proverbs 31 woman, a wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Her husband f- has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. This begins um, this poem in which a wife of noble character who can find as to suggest that finding life in this way is complicated. We read Psalm 1 again today, which I think is a great text to think about Proverbs. Are you standing and walking with wisdom, or are you falling into the road and path of the unrighteous and wicked? And, and to say, as the Bible often points out, that the challenge of this gate is Lady Wisdom goes to the center of town and argues that you join her path. Um, the gate, uh, the path is, is wide, but few travel it. That there's this notion in which this type of life is available to all of us, and it is, and yet most of us turn it away. C.S. Lewis has this great phrase at the end of the essays, The Weight of Glory. He says, like children making mud pies, we reject um, a, a holiday at sea because we can't imagine what it would mean. Um, we just can't seem to grasp that there's something greater for us. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. I believe it's verse 12. She brings him good, not harm. If you were to look that up in uh, a concordance, the Hebrew word, she brings him uh, in the pirate phrase, booty. Um, She brings him captured goods from some other place. This is the fierceness of the Proverbs 31 woman, because when we read, she brings him good, not harm, um, we think, oh, she's nice and quaint. But what it makes her in Hebrew sound like is she is one who captures things for her husband from enemies. She is one who makes something strong. Um, She is of great value because she's able to do more than that. Um... And so she has this value both in the world, who can find her, and value from her husband. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, The next section covers her activities. And one commentator says she's got a cottage industry of sorts. Um, She's very, very involved in multiple different things. She selects wood and flax and works with eager hands. If you have time to read this later, I think hands occurs five times. She, she works with the material of life. Um, she works with her hands often. She is like merchant ships. This is the only um, simile in the poem. Uh, all the other ones are very literal. She's like merchant ships bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field... Um, sorry, she considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trade is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. This is about her work in the world. The first thing is that she makes beauty in the world. Um, we'll see that more later, but that she is one engaged with her hands and works. Um, 
She, she selects things. She's one competent in the economy of the time. Now, this is one of those interesting things where if you're unfamiliar with the text, the Proverbs 31 woman is a stay-at-home wife. The Proverbs 31 woman is an economic mastermind, if you read this portion of the text. She is able to make, build, trade. She gets food from afar on ships. Now, this is not 21st century where that means she went to Safeway. It means somehow in her village, she has earned the competency to be able to receive things from someplace else. If we slow down with the text, you can see how much bigger it is than that. I think she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants, suggests that she is competent in managing her household affairs too, not just for her family, but she has access to provide for those who serve her. She has a way of caring for those beyond her. She works um, vigorously. Um, There's another one uh, in here, sorry, I should have looked at this translation more when I was reading it. This is the NIV I have. Chris, you read from the NLT? The NLT. Um, uh, it's, her arms are strong for her tasks and the way that she works is this language of that like she girds herself up in strength. It, again, it sounds so passive to us, like she's good with the mop. Um, and in fact, what it means is that she is like strong for the task. She, she, has, she has brought her armor to bear on these situations. She's not that passive one we think of. And her activities build um, beauty and goodness for her family. This is what um, the center of, of the poem is kind of made of. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and expends her hand to the needy. This is a beautiful sort of place here in the middle in which she does two things with her hands. She's skilled in labor with her hands, and the hands that are skilled in labor also provide for those on the outside. The book of Deuteronomy says not to live closed-handed, She is one who lives open-handed. When we walk through the book of Deuteronomy, I I propose that we consider what does it mean to live clenched fist, closed-handed, is to grab and to to almost smush and to have it run out. Um, You know, you don't enjoy life living closed-handedly. But because she's able to craft well, and B, she's also able to give well. She extends her hand out. She is one who lives in the justice that the book of Proverbs has been talking about. She lives open-handedly. The next covers her social activities in the world. Going back, I just want to say she has an eye towards the future, and here it shows up as well, too, is that... um, She's able to look at the days to come and laugh at them in verse 25. She's competent in what the future brings, to look at the days to come and to laugh at them. Who in the past, uh, I don't know how long the pandemic's been going on, has been able to look at the days of head and laugh at them? In the past year and a half, two years, to be able to have that type of confidence in God and in the world, to look at the days of head, to know who holds them and to laugh at them, is, I think, a greater task than many of us were up to during the past year and a half. Now, again, Proverbs 31 women were not aware that she lives in that context, but as a goal, um, we think we live in control so well. 
we think we can hold the future in our hands. And she's one because of who she is, is able to look at the days ahead and laugh at them. This is in her buying of the field, too, and planting a vineyard. She has hope in the future. She buys a field, not just to own a field, but to plant and to see what can come up of it. This is a view of the future that I think is harder to take in this world. Um, her husband uh, sits at the city gates. Uh, she, she, her husband isn't that important to the Proverbs 31 poem, but what I think what we see playing out here with the husband being at the city gates is this actual idea that she... If you marry this one, instead of the adulterous woman or instead of the, the other characters, or if you hang out with the, the men of ill repute in the earlier parts, you will flourish, which is what it's been promising all along. The fact that the husband has a full and fulfilled life mean that he has followed into Lady Wisdom's past. He has wedded this one instead of the one who is adulterous. That, that she makes things for her bed. If you remember back to seven, uh, the, the bed of that woman went all the way to hell, but it was, was closed with sort of animal carcasses, whereas this woman makes things for her bed. She makes there. And so in falling in love with this one, it's kind of the fulfillment of what we're promised in Proverbs. You will flourish if you fall in love with wisdom instead of the adulterous woman. And this, I would propose, is an option for all of us. Again, this is where gendered language gets tricky, is, is, is that we were all commanded, both sons and daughters, in Proverbs 1 through 9, to fall in love with Lady Wisdom. And as we read what wisdom is doing in her concrete, ordinary form in the world, it raises the husband up to being able, the partner, of being able to sit at the city gates. And what's great about that is there's nothing told to us about how he got to the city gates other than what she's done. Which is to say, we fall in love with Lady Wisdom, with the noble wife, um, the one of character, and in that we begin to embody wisdom ourselves, and that brings us to fulfillment in this way. We begin to rise in the world as wise people. Another text that comes out in this section that I think is, is deeply important is um, uh, she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She speaks with hesed Torah, or Torah hesed, which I think is this beautiful phrase that doesn't occur much in the Bible, but hesed is, is the closest um, analog we have to Old Testament grace. Um, it means loving kindness in some translations. I judge Bible translations partially by how they translate hesed. Um, that one translates it loyal love. So she speaks with Torah of loyal love. She speaks with uh, um, faithful, uh, faithful kindness is another translation. She speaks with Torah of faithful kindness. The NIV here um, goes with faithful instruction, which, let's throw this one out. Um, uh, but to say that, that she speaks with this on her tongue, the instruction of God and faithful kindness, that this is the way she lives in the world. It's also clear that she is one who fears the Lord. Um, she is one who, who has this in her. It says um, towards the end, Charm is deceptive and beauty and fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That her praise comes in that. 
Um, fear of the Lord is the, the cool or the practice we've been talking about in the sermon. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as the sign says next to me. Um, and, and what I've been trying to argue for most of the sermon, but has become clear, is that it actually takes place in the ordinariness of our lives, that this is where it is. And so if we look back to Proverbs 8, um, Proverbs 8 was the order of creation. Cosmic wisdom orders creation. Proverbs 31 is the ordering of creation in its ordinary sense. One of the five things we, we sort of set as goals here at Defiance Church to talk about for the next five years is order, to put our lives in order, to have households of order, to be in order in our workplaces and where we have um, competency and capacity in the world to do so. Um, and what she is is the reverse of that. The, the, the cosmic woman in Proverbs 8 is involved in the order of creation. The Proverbs 31 woman is involved in ordering it in its specific ways, in its ordinary um, and regular rhythms of life. And so, too, is the call for that. One of the things that, that becomes clear, and this is again from Ellen Davies, one of her, her graduate students, a woman, said, this is not the woman I've been taught to admire. Um, and she meant that, I think, in two ways. One, She's a graduate student in theology. She's been taught to see upward success as the way to life rather than domestic success. The second is, is that um, we don't admire domestic success enough in our world today. Um, jobs are what we admire. Careers are what we admire. Money is what we admire, but a well-ordered household that witnesses to the reign of God is not as what we, much of what we would admire. One of the earlier things, the first Defiance Weekly, which we started a long time ago, the first article in it was how households could be domestic monasteries, places of prayer and order and compare and compassion. And I think that that is something we've abandoned today. There's a great Wendell Berry essay titled Think Little, in which he argues that somebody who doesn't get air-conditioned, gardens, and, and picks up trash in their neighborhood does more for the environment than the person who goes to Washington, D.C. That we should think little and practice faithfulness in the ways that we can in our lives. And I think this is the challenge of the Proverbs 31 woman for us today, is what does it mean for us to reclaim the domestic? One of the things that I think we forget is most of us have jobs, not vocations or careers. And jobs are great because they equip us to have households of goodness and order and peace, and they give us um, much to do with that. But we overvalue what jobs are sometimes. One of my goals in premarital counseling with people is always to tell them, like, work your 40 and then make a marriage. Make a house. Make a place of care in the world. Make a place that others can come and receive rest and goodness and partake in the witness of what you guys are doing together. Don't overload your life with all these tasks and demands that come from outside of it. I mean, there are people who have that gifting, um, and some of you might be that, but I think most of us can breathe and move into our households in goodness and life. The last thing I want to propose is that the Proverbs 31 woman is per perhaps like a scale for us. Now, as a scale, I looked up complex scale. I don't play music, but I believe this is a pretty complex scale. It's in 5-4 time. It has six, seven flats. Um, 
and I don't even know what, yeah, it's very, it's a complex scale to say the least. The Proverbs 31 woman witnesses to a complex scale is that she is wisdom incarnate. She is an ideal for us to strive for, but is she, she's not a checklist for us to be. And because she embodies what this means in uh, a different period in Israel's history before the time of Christ, things have changed. And so I want to propose is that what we actually are going to do is not play the notes, but play in the key of the Proverbs 31 woman which means the notes may be different in our time and in our context. But if we follow the key, that's where we'll find human flourishing in wisdom. This is to say, let's play in the key of wisdom, not overlay upon ourselves, well, this is what she did, we should do it exactly like her, but to say, what is the key in which Proverbs has been speaking to us? What is the, the, the note or the chord in which we are to sort of live this scale? And so to end the Proverbs 31 woman, if you noticed I didn't end it, is it ends with the praise from the family and the praise from all. Proverbs ends with doxology, the praise of God, the praise of wisdom that God has created and made in the world. So too for us, the goal and the end of this is to be people who can praise God rightly. Let us pray. God, you have given us the witness of the scriptures that attest to what wisdom looks like on the ground. We followed from the beginning of Proverbs, set up as these lectures from a father or mother to a son or daughter, calling us into wisdom and away from the path of folly and destruction. The book doesn't end with that dichotomy, but points to us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to fall in love with Lady Wisdom, to live from that cosmic ordering to the ordering of our daily lives, to live open-handedly, to live knowing that you hold the future, to live making something beautiful for our families, for our friends, for our communities. To live in competency and care in the world and to know that that's where human flourishing resides. We are to be your children, the children of wisdom. And may we be proved right in the way that we follow and walk the path that you have laid for us. We ask all this in the praise of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay.